This is Crossing Bridges, brought to you by 1UP, a coalition to end police brutality. Each show, we bring together one person from the world of activism and one person from the world of advertising and entertainment to discuss the issues of police reform and social justice. Today's host is Tiffany Persons, Director of Empathy at advertising agency David and Goliath. She will be speaking with Corey Pegues, community leader and author of the award-winning book, Once a Cop, The Street, The Law, Two Worlds, One Man. Today's topic is Incarcerate by Design. And now here's Tiffany Persons and Corey Pegues. Corey. Hey. Pegues, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, sis? I'm really good today. I'm feeling really deep because I just finished listening to your book. Not just, but it's um, it's still resonant in me. Do you know why the police was founded? Do you know the history? Oh yeah, I'm well versed in the history of policing. It was founded on slave patrols. That's why there's so much issues in the black and brown community because generationally, these things have been passed down. The traditions have been passed down. Like in 92, when I became a police officer, I had an Irish partner, good friend of mine. His father was on the job in like the 70s or 60s. His grandfather was in the 50s. And he would come to work and say, oh, well, my father said we need to do this. I'd be like, Brian, what the hell are you talking about? We're 1992. We don't do that no more, <laughs> okay? So generationally, like minorities have, like, you know, Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, they're coming in policing since like the 90s. So generationally, you talk about 175 years ago, policing started. And it's so deeply embedded Obviously, it's not slave patrol catching no more. We could equate slave patrol to stop question and frisk, mm-hmm. catching black people, just catching black people, you know, or shooting and killing unarmed black men and women. Policing and criminal justice system has to make a choice uh, if they want to treat everyone with respect. Policing is the most important part because policing is the gatekeepers of the criminal justice system, meaning they start the process. You can't see the judge until you got the bracelets on. We can talk about fixing courts and all of that, but if you don't fix policing, none of that other stuff matters. You have to fix policing first because they start the process. And it's so important and imperative that we psychologically check these people out. I think within the next you know, mm-hmm. five, 10 years, the whole policing gonna change because of this, because the, the 15 year old now that's in the KKK and all these crazy groups, he's on Facebook and saying all this crazy stuff. When he's 21 and wants a job, all of this stuff can pop up. You know, he has a what you call a footprint, right? Electronic footprint. So things will be changing then. But um, right now, they got to do something a little different, a lot different. But I, I'm I'm very confident. I think things are going to change. It's going to take time. I'm glad to hear that you have a positive, you have a vision that it can change. It's in the DNA. Yeah. It's in the DNA of policing to not be just or to see things through a filter that is not favorable to black and brown people. Let me tell you, I just watched the George Floyd trial. Obviously, I'm getting a lot of interview requests. I have to watch it. I just and they're showing stuff we never seen body cam for this phone call. So I just witnessed Chauvin, who killed Floyd after killing him, called his sergeant and told the sergeant that this guy's unconscious. He said this guy was acting crazy and erratic. You watch the video. There's no crazy, there's no erratic, but they are so comfortable in saying that because they think this blue wall is going to protect them, but he doesn't know he's about to do 40 years in jail. This is the one case I definitely believe he's going to jail, but the arrogance that they have, that the cover-up is gonna um, always help him, right is right, 
all of the time in policing. And granted, I know it's very, very, very difficult to convict a cop of murder. It's very difficult because juries can't get into the mindset of somebody or what they was thinking, why they did that at that moment. But this case is a lot different because of nine minutes and 26 seconds. This is not a shooting where you're trying to figure out what was his danger and all. This is a lot different. So the arrogance is there. Even after mm. telling somebody, he calls to make his own excuse to back himself up. Like, we had to do this because this guy, this guy, he was big and he was acting crazy and erratic. No, he wasn't. He actually was handcuffed and on the ground saying, I can't breathe, mama, mama, mama. That's exactly what he was doing. But he didn't articulate those things. He's trying to protect himself because that's what they do. And if you don't have nobody in leadership to knock down that blue wall, we're going to continue to have these people out there. The blue wall. Where does this arrogance come from, in your opinion? I believe the PBA, the unions have a whole lot to do with it. I think the unions have a strong hold on police departments around America. So much so that when Mike Brown got killed, murdered out in um, St. Louis, it was the first time that we found out that there's a white union and a black union for one police department. I never even seen that. Yeah, in St. Louis, they got the Police Ethical Society. That's the black union. And then they had the white union. I never even knew that it was two different unions. But the black cops in St. Louis despised the white cops so much, they started their own union. They started their own union. <laughs> so here we are in 2021, and there's mm -hmm. municipalities that have two different unions working for the same police department. So mm -hmm. it's alive and well. So all of these analysts, police analysts, you know, I hate it. I, I see some of my friends, black and brown friends of mine, that's on national shows, and I hear them, and they always tote the police line. That You can see that they tote the police line. I don't know if it's because of the tech. I don't know what it's for, but it pisses me off, and I'm always texting them and tweeting them, saying, yo, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you said that. And they just yo, cool, man, I got to do what I got to do. So even so, what are they doing? Break it down again. So they are, and these are your friends that are in the police. Yeah, in They're law enforcement okay. space. They are national shows that we that we've seen, like CNN and MSNBC, all of these national yeah. shows, yeah. and they're always still toting the police line. Like when you see me on on shows, you know, I, I'm calling stuff black or white. I don't like to do great. I don't give no great even. You're either going to love me or you're going to hate my guts. And that's just going to be it because I'm going to call it right down the middle. If the cop is wrong, I'm calling him out. If he's right, I'm totally going to defend him. I mean, my daughter's a cop. My nephew's a detective. I don't hate police. I did 21 years in policing. But I'm tired of the mistreatment in the black and brown communities. And I want to be one of the people on the forefront to try to help change the tide. Because there are a lot of good police officers, but there's a whole bunch of bad police policies. So when you have good police officers, you marry them up with bad policy, it don't work. It's not going to work until you fix the policy. Mm, got it. So you think uh, policy has a lot to do with it? Yeah, policy and leadership. Listen, Tiffany, it's the only profession that you could go in not be racist and leave racist. Like, yeah. you know, I'm telling yeah. you, a white guy could come into policing that don't, you know, have a problem with black people and then get in there. And because of the orders that he's given, like they use terms like those much in that community, you know, these animals that so they start disliking black people unbeknownst to them. And then you have the black person that come in and he's not racist or she. They don't dislike white people. But 
they start disliking white people because of the way the white cops are treating their black and brown communities. It's, it's, it's the craziest dynamic. And I just, I don't know too many other professions that that can happen. I know that can happen in police because I've seen it. I lived it, you know, for 21 years. It's, it's incredible when you really think about that. You could go and not be racist and leave racist. It's just incredible. Got it. So you think policy has a lot to do with it. Because when you actually were inducted or when you graduated, it was going down in New York. <laughs> it was going down. So yes. you walked into the fire. I was in there for the, uh, you know, everybody talk about January 6th, right? I was right. at the I was at the real right, the first ride in 1993 on the steps of City Hall, and it was yeah. spearheaded by the same guy, one of the same guys for January 6th, Rudy Giuliani, when they was mm-hmm. protesting against the black mayor of New York City, David Dinkins, and Rudy Giuliani had a bunch of drunk, drunk cops. It was thousands of white cops drinking, drunk, carrying nooses, calling Dinkins the N-word, all kind of stuff. It was insane. I never. It was January 6th toned down. Obviously, they didn't kill nobody, but it was insane. When I saw January 6th, I saw that. So I'm in like in this whole racist, I'm like, damn, I'm in this racist clan. You were saying that you're not like your traditional police officer in that you've been sanitized, but you are you. Right. I always stay true to me. Uh, I, I had no other choice because I can't be a man at my house and then a mouse when I'm at work. You gotta even be, you, I gotta be a man all day long. So for me, it was like, it's going to be my way or I'm not going to survive in this police thing. But I'm a hustler, so I know I can survive it. You know what I'm saying? There's no way I made it to the top without hustling. They didn't know about my background until I retired and then it was all hell broke loose. But I was able to survive that, but still stay true to who I was. You should have saw me walking across the stage as a captain, Diddy bopping across the stage. It's like people are like, yo, who is this guy? But you have to also understand, Tiff, like I'm like you, like one of the first generation hip hop. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. I'm first generation hip hop. So like now you got a bunch of cops. You see cops with cornrows and, you know, they got Diddy bops and stuff. So, But I was like one of the first. So they was looking at me like, how did this guy slip through the system? It wasn't that I slipped through the system. I was just being me. I was one of the uh, hip hop cop. <laughs> That's just what it was. That's really what, you know, really what it was. I was just hip hop and I still am to this day. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and it's actually interesting. It brings up authenticity and how the lack of authenticity really is at the root of a lot of our, our issues um, because we get rid of ourselves as we go through life and that can cause a lot of problems. So staying true to yourself, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. How can we better equip police to deal with citizens that don't look like them? And you've spoken to it a little bit by mm-hmm. saying, obviously change the language that is happens to leadership. But mm-hmm. if you have anything else to say about that, I'd love to hear. What we need to do is have the community should be more involved in the hiring of police, especially the officials, especially the police officials. Because so what happens is you usually get a mayor and then the mayor makes his choice. Right. We have to start locking people in into their choice. Right now, New York City is a mayor election. But I will be asking the question of every candidate. Give me the top three names of police commissioners who you choosing from so that we could be informed voters. If you want to get our vote now, we need to make sure, you know, you got Jacqueline 
Tiffany and Corby. Ah, all right, I could I could deal with one of those two. Okay, you're gonna get my vote. But no, this other guy got Jeff Sessions. It's like he got he got bar. It's like, oh hell no. I'm not voting for him because I know I know what that track record is. You know, mm-hmm. so the one of the first things we need to do is be informed voters and hold our politicians' feet to the fire and making sure that, you know, when they get in or because when you when you voted Donald Trump man, he brings in Jeff Sessions. That is a on record racist that's not going to do anything for the black and brown community. And as you saw in his tenure, he did not. He unraveled everything that the Obama-Biden administration tried to do, the criminal justice reform and stuff. All of that for four years was out the window. You got to be informed voters and the citizens got to really, really be involved. Like I would have community council meetings in my community when I was in the housing developments and the projects as a commander, I would get 50 people at the meeting. It's like 200,000 people living in all these projects. I would get 50 people. It was insane. Like nobody wants to know what's going on in the community from the police commander. But then when I worked in another community, actually it was a Caribbean community, I would get like 150, 200 would be standing room only in this meeting. It was the dynamic was crazy to me. I couldn't believe I got this many people because they had a vested interest in what was going on in that community. And most people don't have an interest until every four years when they got a vote. Well, like in the in the in the town that I live in, you know, I know the mayor, I know the police commissioner, I know when they have their monthly meetings, you know, sanitation. You gotta know if you're not involved in that stuff, you know, when I come around they're like, oh, here come Corey Biggie. And I walk in the room and people be like, Yo. I can hear them like he's here. So now I'm here, they already know I'm holding their feet to the fire. So that's what we gotta do. And I I truly believe that like. Cops come out of the police academy. They want to, they really, really want to do the right thing. And then you marry them. A perfect example, Charvin in Minnesota, 18 years on the job, been involved in three shootings, killed one person. Most cops go their whole career with no shooting, zero. This guy had three. And the day he murdered Floyd, he was a training officer. How in the hell does that happen? So here you got, you got a couple of cops that was on the job at like two weeks. They're ready to conquer the world because they get all the rules, regulations. They're ready. They're like, I know what to do, go from A to Z. But you put them with this 18 year old road cop that's going right to Z and the rookies are like, but we forgot, to, we were supposed to go from A, B, C. And he's like, shut up, Rook, I got this. So that's the dynamic in policing that has to change. Also, I understand you want to hook them up with somebody that got some veteran experience, but to hook them up with a Derek Chauvin with 18 years and three shooters, this is what you want. And and by the way, that police department has a black chief. So it's not all about the black white thing. It's about putting right people in positions that's going to do the right thing. And that's yeah. what it's about. Well, it's, it sounds like you're talking about a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego. Oh, it's a very machismo job. You got to understand uh-huh. what policing is. It's probably like 90% of you doing the 10,000 departments around the country and you did numbers, it's probably going to be like 85 to 90% male white dominated. I'm not saying, you notice I didn't say women, male white dominated. You know, those, those are just the numbers unless you're in a chocolate city, maybe like Atlanta down in Alabama. Right. Right. You know, but most of these police departments are male white run. They have their philosophies. It is what it is. Even, even with George Floyd, like it just pisses me off. Even when he first got murdered there wasn't an outcry from police and saying we don't do they still was like tiptoeing around oh, 
We don't necessarily agree with what happened here. Let's wait for the investigation. What freaking investigation? <laughs> we watched your video. Yeah, so what did that make you feel like? I, it makes me feel like they don't care and they're disrespectful to like you can't bamboozle me when we watch right. on an uninterrupted nine minutes and 26 seconds. What more investigation you need? I don't know what other investigation other than toxicology report, which it, I don't even care how high he was. When you murder somebody, if what you did contributed to it, even if he had all this cocaine, opioids, all of that, because all that's going to come out. But you still got to account for the knee on the neck. So if your knee was a contributing factor, you're going to jail for murder. And that's what the people don't understand. The policing has to change because before they used to be in the back room and say, okay, we killed somebody. This is the story. We're getting ready to go in front of the cameras. Y'all ready? Everybody's ready? All right, this is the story. And we as citizens, we believed it because, you know, we do kind of hold police in a high regard. We think that they're going to say the right thing. But this thing came out right here. Changed the game. And changed the game. But they still try to control the narrative. Because even like yeah. in New York City, like a Pat Lynch, the PBA president, when Eric Garner got murdered, he goes to the national TV and said, it wasn't a toko, it was a, a jujitsu move. It's like, what are you talking about, Pat? A jujitsu move. When you put your arm around my neck and squeeze it, just call it toko. We don't want to hear none of this jujitsu move. <laughs> but no, but Tim, that's the arrogance. You see? They don't want to let it go. They don't want to let it go. They don't. This is a lot of power. This is a lot of power they've been holding on and fortifying over these years. No, they don't want to let it go. They got to let it go. It's over. The gig is up. The gig is up. The gig is up. If the citizens of America, and I look at all those George Floyd protests, it was more non-Black people in the protest than Black people. So, like, America is getting it. Which knee do you want on the neck? George Floyd, or do you want to take the knee like Kaepernick? You make your choice. What you want to be? You want to be the Kaepernick or you want to be the Floyd? And that's mm. the question for America now. Because Cap is kneeling because of injustice. This guy, Chauvin, is kneeling because he wanted to kill this black man. So America got to make a choice. Which knee you want to get in that? The Kaepernick knee for change or the Chauvin knee that want to kill black and brown people with no impunity? What are some of the first steps, you think, in the police force to make these changes? Well, the first thing is just like going to an alcohol anonymous program. Say, my name is Corey Piggies. I'm an alcoholic and I want help. So policing has to say, hey, we've done some really bad things throughout American history and policing. And we're willing to sit down and talk to everybody, bring everybody to the table and help for the change. And I'm not talking about the Obama 21st century report, you know, with the seven different pillars of bringing the community together and stuff. You know, all those police departments, you know what they did with that report? They burned it up. <laughs> they're not using it. I promise you they're not using it. So what policing is going to change when people hold their feet to the fire and policing actually acknowledge that it's a racist system. That's it. And nobody's saying that it's bad that you said that. It's just like, we already know it. Y'all just caught up. Y'all figured out it's racist. Now fix it. We've been waiting for you to say, it's been, you know, this cause is stacked against the black and brown community. The numbers mm -hmm. don't lie. And yeah, we got our own issues in black and brown communities. Of course we do. 
we got our issues with, you know, I don't yeah. mind to the black on black crime because in white communities, white on white crime, Asian communities, Asian. I, I know this because I lived in, I worked in all these different communities, but I don't know how it all became black on black crime. But we got our issues and every other community got their issues also. But the main deal is let's treat everybody equally and fairly across the spectrum. I believe that's a beautiful first step and I would love to see that happen. How do you feel that the advertising industry can be an ally to this new imagining that has to happen or this new society that wants to be born? How can we support this through the content that we're making and what we're doing, the roles that we're creating? Yeah, the advertising community, they could do a lot by like advertising real stuff, like, you know, not a shameless plug, advertising me, advertising my book, like having me, you know, sitting me on speaking tours. And I'm just, I'm, I'm using me as an example, but there's this other me's in law enforcement that they can pull to the team, sit down at the table and come up with some grandiose ideas on how we could change policing and use advertisers to come inside. And if the biggest thing that advertisers can do is poor advertisement from police departments in cities where they don't believe that the justice is being done correctly. Pull advertisement dollars from right. Exactly. You pull the money, the money speak. You know that. I mean, I just saw Delta and I think it's Pfizer too. They had to just speak out down in um, Georgia. You know, they got a headquarters down there, but because the government had just tried to suppress all the votes, the CEO for Coca-Cola and Delta had to put out a statement today. So I don't know how that's going to go. Are they going to pull jobs? You know, I don't know. Are they going to relocate somewhere? But Georgia got some problems and advertisers are coming online. But that's how you got to do it because you're spending your dollars, the advertising dollars. People want your money. You know they want your money. So when you say, hey, we're going to pull away from you, they start listening. And again, I'm not just for like bringing in somebody because they're a minority. Like, we just got to bring good people in. I don't even care. Yeah, we want right. to shake at the table. But if that black or brown person ain't right for the job, mm-hmm. I don't care who you put there. All I want, if a green cop came to my house, I just want him or her to treat me with respect. Yes. That's it. That's all I want. I just want them to treat me the same way that they would treat their mother or father or cousins or boyfriend, girlfriend. And that's, that's what it is. What do you think about mental health? Do you feel like there's a level of, PTSD or anxiety that the cops carry around with them as they're walking into these situations that is a part of why they react. Does mental health, in your opinion, play a part in this? Oh, mental health is a very serious issue in America. And I think it needs to be a policing shouldn't even be involved in in mental health calls unless there's a propensity for danger, serious, imminent danger, like deadly physical force. Because police are not trained to handle these situations. We see it over and over and over again that they're going to these jobs and they ended up killing people all of the time. We have to do something different like they're doing in um, Oregon. They got this program called Cahoots that they've been doing for over 20-something years where they send mental health professionals when they get a call. They send them there first, and if they can't handle it, then they call the cops. And they've been doing this for 27 years. And if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me, but I believe since they've been doing it, they haven't had one person killed. Oh, this isn't new stuff. We don't have to recreate the will. 
there's people doing stuff around the country involving mental health and pulling the police back from it. Because as soon as you come to a cop, six foot five, black male, frothing at the mouth, butt naked, said, yo, I'm about to kill you and eat your babies. The cop is like, oh, my God, I got to kill this guy. When he might just be acting out and you can have a mental health professional come and talk him down, him or her down. Cop, you get a little bit of training, but it's not enough. You're talking about mental health professionals getting master degrees. And you, t- I'm going there with two weeks of training. How the hell can I be able to deal with this situation? So I think it's really unfair that cops are even going to these places because they're, they're not equipped. And we're seeing it countless times over and over and over and over. Really incredible point. We've been doing the war on drugs since the Reagan era, and it hasn't helped us. We've been doing the war on drugs since the Reagan era, and it hasn't helped. I have to say that twice. So you can't arrest your way out of an addiction. It's only three things you can do to help people with addiction. It's going to be education, counseling, and treatment. That's it. We can't keep sending cops to lock people up on this war on drugs. We're locking people up, putting them in jail. They're coming back home. They're actually going to jail, becoming more addicted in jail because there's so many more um, drugs in jail. They're learning how to make the drugs in jail. So we got to, and I'm happy that, you know, it's moving around. New York City just decriminalized, just it just passed the law. Marijuana is going to be legalized finally in New York. Canada just opened up a safe space. If you want to shoot heroin, you're going to come to this location. We're going to give you a clean needle, let you shoot your heroin. So now your kid is playing in the park, won't get stuck by a needle. And when you come down off your high, we got some counselors there to try to help you get off it. That's what moving forward America has to do. But you got to understand, prison is money. They built all these private prisons and there's beds in there. So what better way? What's the quickest way to fill up a bed? Lock up a crackhead. Exactly. Lock up a dope fiend. Yes. Addiction is a disease. Exactly. Counseling. Why do we handle it as as if it's a criminal? It's a criminal charge. It's a disease. The gig is up, Tiff. Policing must change. We got to change. Corey, what would you like to see happen over the next five years, the next 10 years and beyond as it relates to this issue and everything that you've been going through and are seeing today. No longer it's going to be unequal treatment of black and brown communities, which I coined the phrase, they hunt in black and brown communities, they protect and serve in others. If policing could protect and serve in all communities around America, where the community is imploring the police to come on, we're gonna give you who the criminals are in our community, where we're not having this this strange relationship with the police in the community. And obviously I would like to see them color the police department should be more reflective with the communities in which you serve. If you're in a community that's 98% minority and the police department is 98%, it don't work. It should be more reflective of the community in which you serve. I think there should be a residency requirement for police officers for the first five years their police career, at least the first five mm-hmm. years, they get to eat, sleep, smell the community. Their kids got to go to the same schools with the people who they're policing. And so now they have a more appreciative value of what goes on in their community because they live there. And so That's now they want to police the community differently. I love that idea that they have to be a part of the community that they're policing. What are you most concerned about for the future? And alternatively, what are you most hopeful for for the future? I'm most concerned that 
the police culture doesn't change. If, if we keep hiring the same people, like I said, if you have the same leaders in charge all the time, passing on their old antiquated ideas, we need to get some new invigorating, fresh blood, some fresh ideas. And it, even again, if it's an academia that has to run the police department, so what? You know, we have to get some new, fresh ideas. I'm concerned about that culture, that wall. Let me tell you something, Tiffany. That blue wall is hard to climb. I was able to kick it down with a sledgehammer, but most people don't want to go and play with that wall. And I, I have so many black and brown, Asian, Hispanic cops that I know, and they just want to go along to get along. I'm not mad at them, though, because everybody can't be Corey Pegues. No, everybody exactly. not willing to take that battle. You have to, I understand that you have to live for something or die for nothing. That's just me, how I was raised. I know that I live on the backs of the three M's, Martin, Malcolm, and Megan, not in any particular order. If they didn't sacrifice, I wouldn't even be able to be sitting here on camera with you or be a police executive. So I understand where I came from. I'm well read and I know my history. And some people don't want to do it. So that's why that wall is never going to crumble. But what I'm most hopeful for is that the citizens outside of policing is going to demand change. It's going to come from the, the citizens. It's not going to come from the police. Corey, it's been wonderful talking to you this afternoon. As always, I just love <laughs> your spirit and what you're doing. Yeah. And anybody who has not read your book must get it. It's um, really incredible. Enjoyed every moment of it. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Tiff. You've been listening to Crossing Bridges, presented by One Up. Today's topic was Incarcerate by Design, hosted by Tiffany Persons, Director of Empathy at advertising agency David and Goliath, and her guest, Corey Pegues, community leader and author of the award-winning book, Once a Cop, The Street, The Law, Two Worlds, One Man. To learn more about One Up and our mission to end police brutality, visit oneop.org.